1: This is Miles, and
0: I'm really old, and I love race cars, and Family Adventure
1: podcasts. Goodbye. This is Family Adventure Podcast. Inspiring families to dream, travel, and accomplish epic adventures. Oops. And now your host,
0: Eric Hemingway. Hello folks, welcome back to Family Adventure Podcast, and if this is the first time you've come here, then how's it going? Welcome to the group. <laughs> We're glad you're here. This is, uh, this is the place where we like to talk about family adventure travel, um, kind of specializing in nomadic travel, travel families that just take off and go for a year or more and live nomadically all over the globe or all over the United States, RVs, boats, uh, bikes, whatever. Trains. We don't have a train family yet, but we're looking for one. So if you know somebody who's taking a long train ride or trains across countries, we'd love to hear about it. So, anyways, uh, this week we are finishing our interview with Joshua Sheets. Got into a little bit kind of general ideas last week, and this week he really dives into a lot of specifics on your budget, how to get a hold of your budget, find out ways you can save money. It boils down to three things. I loved how he said it how much you make, how much you spend, and what you do with the difference. Uh, and Financial planning 101 is spend less than you make. So so there's really only three ways you can tweak it. Either you make more money, spend less, or invest better. So we talk a lot about that this week. That's pretty cool stuff. And, uh, yeah, so we're excited. So we'll dive right in. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening and for leaving reviews on iTunes. Appreciate that. And, uh, for joining our email list, we've got some exciting stuff coming up. We're going to actually start launching a coaching program where we are going to come alongside families and help walk them through the process from start to finish on how to build a plan to get you out of the treadmill onto a traveling life. And we're super stoked to, uh, to announce that in a few weeks, but we're just wanted to kind of let you know that's coming up and we will dive into the interview. Enough of me rambling on. All right. I'm shutting up now. Okay. Okay. Let's head into the interview.
1: Could I add, I prepared a few thoughts um, that I'd like to share that it would yeah, be sure. specific to travel and feel free to, you know, cut this out or to add in another show and split it out or something like that. But I think it would be helpful to some ideas that would be helpful around family adventure. Great. Um, could I share? Okay. Yeah, sure. Um, could, because I want to, I don't want to, I want to leave people with some tactics and some exposure okay. to some big picture ideas without getting into like specifics, but, but, I want to apply the science of financial planning to the science of goal achievement. So first, on debt, I wanted to give some tactics that I think would be helpful. Um, As far as tactics, here would be some specific suggestions. Number one, start by tracking your money. The number one thing that most people do not do is they do not track their money. If you do not track your money, then you don't know where it's going. And if you don't know where it's going, you can't go back and say, is it going where I want it to go? I don't care how you track your money. I recommend to people that they start with a way that's very tangible. So sometimes just by being you know, tangible with it, maybe that means a three-by-five card in your pocket and a pen. Maybe that means a note on your smartphone. Maybe that means a checkbook register. Maybe that means you know, just something where you're actually physically writing it down, a notebook every night. You take your receipts out and you write it down. Make up a way that works for you. I try not to say do it this way. Because some ways work for some people. Some people like their smartphone and enter that in. I personally don't. I would rather carry a 3 by 5 card and a pen and write it down. But track your money in some manner. There are a lot of great electronic solutions for this. So there are a lot of apps that you can use. There are integrated comprehensive apps. Uh, Mint uh, is the most famous of them. There's an app called Personal Capital. These are probably two of the prettiest, most um, popular popularized there are a number of other apps that are more specific a little bit simpler maybe you can find an app that you like but i think there's a lot of value in you have to track your money you have to track track your money so that you can create what we call a cash flow statement and the key of this i've got an entire show on it eric you can go and find it in the show notes if you want to link to it but i've got an entire show on how to create a cash flow statement but here's the key most people when they're creating a cash flow statement they're purely writing down their expenses I recommend – that's a good place to start. If you've never done that, that's good. But you want to go and you want to track all of your income from every source before taxes. And then you want to write down all of your expenses to every source. And you want to go and do it before taxes – Instead, what many people do is they just take the net that they get maybe on their paycheck and they write that down and they budget off of that. The problem is, though, that there's, you know, there's 7.65% if you're an employee coming out already for uh, for, for, uh, Social Security, for employment taxes. So that would be Social Security taxes and Medicare taxes. Number two is that there isn't some amount of income tax being withheld and deducted from your check. And so I've helped people find tens of thousands of dollars that they're spending that we can just save on taxes. If I could, I did a show recently where the with a guy uh, Justin from a website called Root of Good who retired at 33 and we went through on the interview an example of where he was able to pay, he had $150,000 income, and he he paid, he has three kids, and he paid $150 total of income taxes. And we worked out that it's possible that somebody could make $150,000 and spend $30,000 on taxes. If you're looking for a travel budget, I just found a $30,000 travel budget with good tax planning. So create a cash flow statement and write down all of the pre-tax income and then write down what your taxes are, work that out, I've got a whole show on that. Number two, create an actual balance sheet. This is another thing that many people don't do. Write down everything that you own, exactly what it's worth, everything that you owe, exactly what it's worth. Then you can look at those things and you can start to say, am I happy with this? Am I making progress? And so those are the two fundamental financial statements that you need to create for yourself. And that's the first thing that as a financial planner, when you come in and you're working with someone, the first thing that you do is you create those statements. I don't make a big deal about budgeting in the sense of a forward-looking, here's what I'm going to spend on this month or not. For some people, that's really, really helpful. For other people, it's really, really discouraging. So I would encourage people if they feel like they're not in control with their money, I would encourage them to really uh, figure out a system of budgeting that works for them. What's simplest is a legal pad and a pen. Make it simple. For some people, they like to use a software solution. There may be something built in with the bank, but you, budgeting is forward-looking. Tracking is backward-looking. Budgeting is what affects how much money you have at the end of the month. Backward-looking just simply tells you what you did. If you are in trouble, you've got a budget. Uh, if you are generally pretty comfortable, it's probably not so necessary. So I'm a little flexible on that. I would encourage people to get very tactical with their finance. What happens is that it's so easy in today's world to lose touch with your money. Uh, you know, you've got your credit card registered at Amazon, so you just click buy with one click, and there's a new ten dollar ebook. You've got your credit card running all of your bills. You've got all of these certain. You know, you've got all these different things. What I've found when I've been in, in financial trouble, one thing that has helped me, and I've noticed it to help many people as I've helped them, as I've worked with them, is that I believe both automating your finances and unautomating your finances are is very valuable. If you're a little out of control, you need to pay attention. A good way to do that is stop the automatic payments everywhere, stop the automatic contributions everywhere. Take a checking account and a checkbook register. The checkbook register is still the most valuable cash flow planning tool I've ever been able to figure out. Our grandparents got rich with a checkbook register. Almost nobody keeps one today. And I find it's incredibly valuable for me to keep a checkbook register. Write your bills manually. Record the checkbook register. Keep it up to date. That allows you to be in touch with what's going on. If you're happy with where you're at, you're happy with what you're saving, with where you're going, how it's, how it's, uh, how it's working, then you can take that and you can translate that and say, now I'm going to go ahead and automate things. So automating is also powerful, but it's only powerful if you're doing the right thing. So you can automate your savings, automate your investings, make sure that you're actually paying yourself first. Most of the uh, people all have heard of the idea of paying yourself first, but the idea doesn't get it done. Just actually saying, oh, I know about that doesn't mean that the very first thing you do is save some money toward whatever the financial goal is that you have. Um, You have to actually do it. So figure out a way to make sure that you actually do it. One of the ways, if you're going through, there are only three things that you can possibly adjust from a strategy of wealth building. To build wealth, or and I, I define wealth whether in a small sense toward a specific goal, that may be a, a family adventure goal, or in the larger sense, that may be towards something like financial independence. There are only three things that you have control over. The number one thing is how much income do you have? The number two is how big, how much expenses how much are the are your expenses? And number three is what do you do with the difference between those two? So people who are broke, they don't make very much money, they have high expenses. Sometimes those expenses exceed their income, so they're paying a lot of interest on the difference between those things. People who get wealthy have a much higher income than they do have expenses, and so they have a higher income, they have lower expenses, and they invest the difference between those things uh, wisely. That's it. That's the formula. That's frustrating, and it's encouraging. It's encouraging because it's simple. It's frustrating because you don't know exactly what to do with it. So the key is to attack it in different pa- different periods of time. So number one, income. Is there something that I can or should do to increase my income? This can be as simple as changing jobs. Most people do not handle their career in an efficient manner. They're happy with getting a 3%, 4%, 5% raise. When you could find a competitor, if you enhanced your uh, your your attractiveness to an employer, you may find a competitor who will give you a 55% raise. And it's far easier to swap out employers every few years and climb the ladders of income very straightforward instead of staying at one place where they're just going to give you continual um, cost of living raises. Uh, But in order to do that, you have to become more attractive. So you have to focus on building your skills. You have to focus on becoming more employable. You have to focus on building up. That may mean a formal certification. Maybe you need an MBA. Maybe you don't because a formal certification is not valuable, but you need to become much more excellent with leadership. You need to go to some industry conferences. You need to network within your industry. You may need to start a blog where you're doing book reviews on your industry. So something, if you're an employee, to increase your income substantially. If you're an entrepreneur, you, you have a tremendous opportunity to focus on ways to constantly be increasing your income. Number two is expenses. I think there are a couple of ways that are useful to track expense, to do expenses. Because you started with tracking expenses, then I would recommend that you order these expenses from highest to lowest and from lowest to highest. Many people, when they first start to think about saving money, they automatically start with the little things. So there's a joke in the personal finance world about the latte factors. The idea is if you just cut out the expensive coffee, you'll get rich. That may be, and that works great. But the reality is that some people really love and value that daily latte. So it may be that it's more effective to flip it around and say, what are my biggest expenses? So you see this a lot of times when people get a travel bug. List your expenses in order of highest expenses to lowest expenses. For most people, the number one highest expense will be housing. So start with housing and say, what could I do to cut my housing cost by 50% or more without sacrificing my lifestyle it may or may not be possible but by asking a really big question like that you may come up with an alternative idea that will fit your fit your fit your goal so you know, Eric, you and Rachel were sailors. There are tons of people who, all throughout the period of time, have done this. They move from a house onto a sailboat. They don't have the money to go sailing yet, but they buy the sailboat and then move in there and they cut their expenses by a massive amount while they're still saving. That makes the goal be able to achieve much more quickly. So ask yourself what can I do to cut this by 50% or more? Uh, And then brainstorm that. Write write that question at the top of a sheet of paper. Write down 30 ideas to activate the creative juices. The first eight may may be easy, and then the last 22 are incredibly difficult. Uh, but be creative, be wacky, be crazy. I could move into my car, I could move in with my parents, I could sell, I could rent out three of my rooms on Airbnb. <laughs> I could have a roommate, you know we could move to Japan I could you know i don 't know what the answer is, but be wacky, be crazy, then just simply look at those ideas and see do I actually want to do any of these if you don 't want to do any of them, skip it, do the exercise in a different way and and do something. But you can come up with the solutions that work for your scenario if you ask that kind of question. Look at transportation expenses. There's a common thread in the early retirement community that what you do is you buy a house that's either close to your job or you, buy, or you rent, a house, rent an apartment that's close to your job uh, or it can be on a place that you have public transportation to your job. So maybe you ride right on a bus line or a subway stop that goes directly to your job so you can sell a couple of cars or sell one of the cars. Cars are expensive to own and operate, so maybe there's your travel fund. That's usually for most people it's, it's housing Taxes, vehicle expenses are often the biggest categories, followed by food. So you can say, what, would I, what can I do to cut my food costs by 50% or more? And you may be able to find an answer. So you would eat rice and beans. You would learn to coupon. You would grow your own food. I don't know the answer, but it's a mental, uh, a mental shift. Then flip it. And um, at some point in time, this is not all exercises for one night. This is an ongoing period of, of an action plan. Flip it on its head and start with the little expenses and say, what could I do with this little expense? Oh, I'm spending $60 a month on my cell phone bill. My wife and I have iPhone plans that cost 10 bucks a month with Air, with Air Voice Wireless. So if I can save 50 bucks a month on my cell phone bill, that's a major savings. So flip it and look through all those little expenses. And I like to tell people, optimize one thing every month. So pick one category and spend a month on that category brainstorming what are my ideas what could I implement maybe you need to, you need to research cell phone carriers maybe you need to shop your auto insurance some people can save a thousand bucks a year just by shopping their car insurance but most of the time we don't do it so by tracking it, categorizing it, and then sitting down and working on it and consistently working on it, we can reduce those expenses. And then that le- and, and the key is it's often easier to reduce expenses than it is to increase income or increase investment returns. Quick, quick rule of thumb, and I know I'm just like spurting everything out, but I want to make this show incredibly valuable because I want to see tons of people um, having family adventures. But a quick rule of thumb – from the early retirement community that I think is so valuable is to operate in terms of a a mental model of financial independence. So there's a rule of thumb that we use in financial planning, that if you're going to live off of a portfolio of investment assets, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, then you can safely spend about 4% of a portfolio per year into perpetuity. Now, there's some more nuance to, that, nuance to it, but it's a useful mental model. So what you can do is you can take every single monthly expense and you can multiply that monthly expense by 300. And that will tell you how much of a portfolio you need to have to, main, to, to in order to fund yourself on an ongoing basis uh, without needing to work. So let's say somebody wants to go and travel and their monthly travel budget is $2,000. Well, a good place to start with a financial goal is take $2,000 and multiply that times 300. That comes out to be $600,000. Now, this is not the only way to go and travel. But if you wanted to travel full-time, you wanted to, you know, quote-unquote, retire, then you need a $600,000 portfolio under that rule of thumb doing this with mutual funds and paper assets. So a question would be, if I'm looking at a cell phone bill, and let's say that I'm looking at there and there's a mom and a dad and a couple of kids on a cell phone plan, and that cell phone plan is $150 a month, in order to pay for that cell phone bill on an ongoing basis, I multiply that $150 times 300, that equals $45,000. And I can look at that and say, this person needs to save $45,000 to be able to fund this cell phone bill into perpetuity. Now, if I could cut that from one hundred and fifty dollars a month to fifty dollars a month, then fifty dollars a month times three hundred hundred uh, winds up being uh, fifteen thousand dollars. So that's a difference of a total need to accumulate an extra thirty thousand dollars. The question is this. You look at your savings rate and you say, okay, I'm saving this amount of money on a monthly basis. How long will it take me to accumulate $30,000? For many people, that's three, four, five, six years to be able to accumulate that. And a lot of times it's easier to go from $150 a month cell phone expense to a $50 a month cell phone expense than it is to go from, uh, you know, to save, than it is to save the extra, go from $15,000 saved to $45,000 saved. So that's a very useful rule of thumb that I use in my mind to evaluate ongoing expenses and say, is this worth it to me? It values a lot. If you recognize that I could save $200 a month on my uh, groceries by working out a couponing strategy or by growing some of my own food or by learning to cook for myself, that's $60,000 that I don't need to save toward uh, toward that ongoing travel expense. I'll pause because I just gave you a mouth. <laughs> <laughs> you need to you need to turn the page over. <laughs> no, that
0: is uh, that is fantastic. I mean, that is a great way to think about it. When you think about you know taking that number and multiplying it times three hundred, and and really this is what it's gonna this is what you're gonna look at over the over the long haul. That is a huge shift, and that is that is radical personal finance. I mean, that's really grabbing grabbing the checkbook by the by the horns, you know, and um, and putting it into practical terms, which is fantastic. Right. So many, well, I mean, <clears throat> the, the average person, I mean, you know, what, what maybe two out of a 100 think like that or, or actually dive into their own finances and, and really evaluate where they are, where they're going. Right.
1: Very few do. Very, Very few. few do. And what would it look like if more did? Yeah, it's it's awesome. Uh, so I got a couple more ideas I want to yeah, share. Perfect. Uh, uh, Fire away. So, so I want to I want to flip it as far as like, especially with a focus on travel of some ideas and some models for how to fund travel. So what I just went over is basically some money management. So that's focusing on a lot on the income and the expense side, right? When it comes down to how can I invest the difference wisely? then this will tie over to the income side. So one of the things that is a very useful mental model, some people will look at things from the perspective of how can I fund things off of an investment portfolio? But if you want to live a family adventure of some kind, that doesn't necessarily have to be the only way to fund things. So basically, we need cash flow. So all financial planning is based around cash flow. If you and your wife needed fourteen hundred dollars a month to live on your uh, to live on your sailboat uh, the, after you had purchased it with your family, then all you need to be able to do that is fourteen hundred dollars a month. That fourteen hundred dollars a month, if you had fourteen thousand dollars sitting in a bank, that and you're spending fourteen hundred dollars a month. Now we have ten months worth of expenses, so we have ten months worth of freedom. But that $1,400 a month could be coming from many other sources. If you had Social Security income of $1,400 a month, that could provide it. Most people, unless you're disabled, I had, a, I had somebody I worked with actually was disabled at an early age, and they had a, under $1,000 a month. They lived on a sailboat, and they traveled the Caribbean constantly full-time living on their sailboat because that was how they could live a, a great life on their disability income. Uh, but maybe if you're after 65, that may be your Social Security income. If you're younger, that may be a number of different things. So I encourage people, investing is a really important skill, and it's awesome if you can fund an investment, if you can fund a, uh, uh, if you could fund a, uh, a, an adventure based upon investments. To me, that's kind of the, the ultimate uh, because that's true financial independence. When you don't have to do any work and your investment portfolio will build that for you. But there are other ways to do it. So you could have somebody who works occasionally. If you need $1,400 a month and you're able to work somewhere and earn $2,800 a month, that means for every six months you work, and you can save 1400 you can buy six more months of not having to work as a very simple formula. So sometimes occasional working, Many people would love to be able to build their income online, and many people have done it. So you can build some sort of business. So this could be a so-called location-independent business, a website of some kind. There are plenty of people who have done that. There are plenty more people who will tell you how to do it who have never done it. Uh, <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah that, who, that list might be longer. It's, it is far longer. <laughs> but sometimes uh, you know, focusing on a more local brick-and-mortar business might be more efficient. Uh, as far as a, a useful kind of construct, when you're looking at, uh, and I, I just uh, recorded a show about this um, that hasn't been released yet, um, but just kind of talking about the different ways of, of doing things. There are fundamentally three different asset classes that I am aware of that big picture can be, um, can be used. And number one is entrepreneurship or business ownership. Number two is real estate. And number three is paper assets. So entrepreneurship or business ownership, um, if it's appropriate for somebody's personality, can often have the highest potential rate of return. So if somebody's saying, okay, I'm able to save some money, what? Well- what's going to be my best investment, if business is appropriate for them, building a business or an entrepreneurial endeavor of some kind can often be the highest rate of return because you can multiply the money incredibly massive. You know, the right investment in the right, you know, marketing program for your business uh, may result in a a thousands of percent rate of return. Uh, So it's got opportunities for just massive growths if the business is successful. Uh, it's also got tremendous opportunities for tax advantages. So uh, there are you know, people, my, one of my personal pet peeves and personal passions is actually tax planning because the more money you save on taxes is more money that you can spend. So instead of the government stealing the money out of your pocket and spending it on all the stuff that it spends the money on, much of which, in my opinion, is a total waste, then you can spend it on what you want to spend it on. Uh, people often talk, talk about tax breaks for the rich. I'm not aware of any tax breaks for the rich or tax breaks for the poor. We all have the same tax code. Uh, The trick is, however, there are two different almost segments to the tax code. And this is not actual. This is more metaphorical. There's a personal tax code and there's a business tax code. And all the good stuff is in the business tax code. So if you uh, build out some kind of entrepreneurial endeavor, I like to use a simple example. If you are one who is making a legitimate income, um, writing and selling travel books, then some portion of your travel expenses will now be a deductible expense, so you can avoid the taxes on some portion of those tax expenses. It's a very involved uh, process to do it carefully, but and to do it appropriately, where you have good records and you're in good shape. But uh, uh, you know that trip, that trip that I that I said where the, I took the two weeks and traveled. That was a 100% deductible expense for me because I was attending two business conferences that were 100% related to my business. So that's a real opportunity for people to leverage the tax code to help them. Plus, there are many other ways to leverage other people, other people's money, other resources when you have a business. So consider entrepreneurship. The number two area is, but but the downside to entrepreneurship is that many times, A, it may have the highest failure rate. We're all familiar with um, aspects of, you know, the the statistics on the number of businesses that fail. Um, uh, It also has oftentimes a lot of involvement by the owner. So it's a lot easier to go and purchase a mutual fund where you just simply sit back and don't do anything than it is sometimes to run a business. Uh, So you've got to be okay with that. The key is that, from a lifestyle design perspective, many people don't necessarily need to be retired in the sense of not wanting to work anymore. Many times, what we desire is just a greater sense of autonomy and direction and control over our day, rather than what we uh, than the need to go and uh, you know be rich. You know, I tell my wife, and I've, I've said this on the show, that my definition of wealthy is not having to set, get up to an alarm clock. So that's a big deal to me is I do not set an alarm clock and I don't want to set an alarm clock and I don't care what I just don't want to do that. So my idea, I don't care how much money I have. I don't mind working. But the ability to not have to get up, fight rush hour traffic, and be at the office at 830 with a boss that's sitting there tapping his foot and saying, what's wrong with you? That's important to me. So I am now financially independent in my mind right. because I don't have to set an alarm clock even though I am far from being financially independent in the sense of having enough of an investment portfolio to where I don't have to work again. Right. I think, I, I, if I
0: can step in yeah. here, I think Please. a lot of people are not – you know. They they want to be, you know, in their mind, they want to be rich. That's going to answer all their problems or that's going to, you know, give them what they want. What what they really want is freedom. I don't right. think anybody just wants to sit around and, and check their bank balance every day and say, oh, yep, yep. Now I, st- I still got a million or I still got two million bucks or whatever. They want to live how they want and not have to think about money, which is just freedom. And, right. you know, I, I've, I've, I've talked about that with my wife, with Rachel. I'm like, you know, people often say, wouldn't it be great if you don't have to worry about money? Right. you know and that's the thing and i'm like you can do that today right you, you, when you worry about money that's a ch- uh, that's a mental choice that you're making that you're worrying about money you can you can not have to worry about money ever again absolutely you know and and all of a sudden now you're wealthy in in that de- if that's your definition i don't want to have to worry about money well there there you go you right. know you you're choosing to let it consume your mind and and all you do is think about how much you don't have Uh, or or what you can't afford or whatever. But uh, that's that's just a total different way of thinking. Uh, But I I do like your alarm clock,
1: uh, financial freedom, (laughs) (laughs) alarm freedom. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, to me, that's a big deal. So uh, the other thing is for me, I like to have time with my family. So I work from home. uh, I set my own schedule. And that means sometimes I work at 1030 at night. Uh, a lot of times I'm up very early in the morning, but just the ability to wake up when my body tells me to wake up and to wake up and work on work that I'm excited to work on, to me, that's the deal. That's that's my definition for now uh, as I work toward financial freedom in the sense of not having to work anymore. Right. Uh, so the second of the three asset classes, number one, is business and entrepreneurship. And I think this is probably, for many people, the most accessible form and way to fund something like a family adventure and a business in and of itself as a family adventure. Uh, You know, I have a one year old son and I'm thinking constantly about how can I build a business that fully integrates my son into my life? Well, how can I build a business? I, you know, I don't. I don't want to go to an office where my son can't come. Right. I want to build an I want to build a business where, when I go to an industry conference or I go to an event or I'm going to a meeting, I want my son to be there because how is he going to learn the social skills and the business skills that he needs to know for his success in life? He's going to learn that by being there right beside me. I don't want to. You know, I don't want him to to go and learn the social. I don't want him to learn the social skills of a catty, uh, click world that may exist. In a, in a local middle school. I want him to be there with me working with adults, working with individuals. So if we are uh, considering making an investment in a company, I want him to go and help me interview the people. I want him to, to do a project and a research project on, the, on an industry to see if there's an industry that's growing. If we're going and looking at a house that we may be buying uh, as a rental house, then maybe, and this is one of the reasons why I'm personally thinking about changing my personal stance toward real estate, because I want to take my son with me and have him be involved and say let's do the, let's run the numbers on this house and see if it's a good investment. I want him to be there to negotiate with the person and see how here's how you negotiate. So uh, so to me that those are my ideas, but I don't have to be a millionaire to do that. Right. All exactly. I've got to do is take control over my circumstances and integrate him in my life. Yeah, yeah.
0: And that's that's the kind of stimulating work that you, you, you know you can do like your grandparents did into their 80s and their 90s. Right. It it's it gets you out of bed in the morning. It's fun. It's right. uh, exciting. You know it, there's opportunities everywhere when you start thinking that way. And uh, yeah, so okay, keep going on the asset classes. Right. Num- I'm very excited about number two because this
1: is my background. So cool. So, so number <laughs> one is entrepreneurship. Number two is real estate, and real estate is a wonderful asset class for people to consider as building their building their wealth. Uh, and by the way, I want to make sure that I give credit to also to I mentioned him earlier with his pro-leisure circuit. Uh, years ago, I read an essay by Todd Tresseter at financialmentor.com, and what Todd's work is interesting is in the, is unique in the personal finance space because he does a good job with talking about he does a good job with talking about building a wealth plan, which is people many people don't think about how to build a wealth plan, and so I want to give him credit. He was the one that I remember years ago when I read his essay on these three approaches that has helped me. To, to be able to crystallize, uh, crystallize uh, my thoughts on it. So entrepreneurship. excuse me, real estate, uh, it, I think many more people have probably become financially independent through the use of real estate than many other approaches to investment. And real estate is really unique because it is easily leverageable. And it's also a fairly inefficient market because it's all localized. So there are opportunities for people to apply hard work toward finding an inefficiency in the market and exploiting that. And it's also an advantage for people because they can apply skill to it. So some investments, if I make an investment in a, uh, a Fortune 500, if I make an investment in Coca-Cola as a small individual, I don't have any opportunity to apply skill to Coca-Cola's uh, business venture and help them increase their profits so that I get a higher dividend on my investment. But if I buy a little house on the corner, I have the opportunity to apply some sort of skill to that scenario. Uh, so whether that's painting the house, whether that's fixing it up, whether that's the ability to find it and find a better buyer for it, for whom it's more appropriate. Whether that's the ability to see the a, a higher vision for it. Maybe I rent it out, you know, to Airbnb instead of to a traditional. I make you know. Uh, tenant and i make more money on it like i can apply skill to that in some regard so real estate is almost a hybrid between entrepreneurship and pure passive investing and it's a real opportunity for uh for people to consider simplest financial simplest way to become a millionaire uh that i'm aware of other than uh the joke about start with two million and and make a bad investment (laughs) which we've all heard those jokes But the simplest way that I'm aware of to become a millionaire uh, was I think um, I first learned it from John Schaub, who's written some great books on real estate. He said, borrow a million bucks and let the tenants pay it off, Uh, is that that's the unique aspect of of real estate, is borrow a million bucks and let your tenants pay it off for you and you wind up with a million dollars. So real estate is a wonderful hybrid. It might be less work and less involvement than uh, than is... um, uh, something like uh, a traditional, more traditional brick-and-mortar online business. So it might have lower returns, but it also might have better returns through the use of leverage than, it, than maybe, again, buying shares of, of Coca-Cola. I just interviewed a guy on my show uh, named Joe, and he and his wife are teachers in Las Vegas. And on a teacher's salary, he has been at, he's on track. They're in their late 20s now. He's on track to retire, I think, at the age of 30 with owning about 25, I think he said, something like something like a couple dozen pieces of property um, that will cause them to be financially independent at the age of 30, where he and his wife, on a teacher's salary, are able to no longer work, and, and they're going to go and do slow travel around the world uh, to, uh, as part of their retirement plan. Fantastic.
0: I love it. <laughs> yeah, real estate is uh, has always been intriguing for me. I've, I've been in and out of it for a number of years, and there's just so many things about it that I love. There's so many niches and different commercial, residential, rentals, Airbnb, right. uh, flips, building from scratch. You know, all of those kind of things are just uh, uh,
1: really intriguing. So I love it. You, you should use your experience and you should, like, create a show or, like, create, uh, you know, a course, course or something, like, to teach people. Because real estate is very uh, – I think it, especially because you come from the perspective of travel – I think real estate can be arranged in such a way that is very intensive and management intensive. And it can also be arranged in such a way that is less management intensive. So you should like uh, you should do a show on how to get – because it's not an area of expertise of mine other than just some academic knowledge. Right. You should do a show for people on how to get rich with real estate and fund all your travel dreams well, that that's, Well,
0: that's a great idea, and that's something that, that we've certainly kicked around because it is kind of unique in the fact that um, – yeah, another thing I love about real estate is you know we're way off the path now, but we're just having fun. Is sure. uh, it's you, you know you just get to deal with larger numbers. It's I've worked right. retail and it's so frustrating when you know every sale is you know four dollars or six dollars and and net profits maybe eighty cents or something. And it's just like it feels like you're climbing Mount Everest. Uh, right. But with real estate, you're buying a house for thirty thousand, selling it for fifty thousand or what you know one hundred and fifty thousand or whatever it is, and uh, it just it's it's just more it seems like you're making more progress when you're dealing with larger numbers and it feels like right. you're actually getting somewhere but i guess it could right. also work the other way and <laughs> you know you right. can lose a lot as well but um so i guess but anyways i think that's a great niche and i appreciate the uh suggestion there you know trying to tie
1: in real estate to travel Real estate is, is is a wonderful opportunity, but the problem is there's slow, so many sleazy shysters in it in mm-hmm. the business of teaching people about real estate that it really is tough for people to learn how to negotiate between the sleaze and get to the actual really good information, but whether right. it's guys like I mentioned, the young guy who he and his wife, on a teacher's salary, are getting ready to uh, to retire at thirty or in their thirties or something like that, uh, or whether it is um, whether it is uh, something I know of people that I know personally, who uh, somebody who worked uh, a career as a truck driver for. Um, one of the big beverage companies uh, and just worked as a truck driver and went through a couple of divorces, wound up completely broke. And from like age 50, I said, oh, this is ridiculous. And like from age 50 over the next five to 10 years, built his way to financial independence um through uh without he actually didn't borrow any money did it completely cash saved twenty thousand bucks flipped a cheap house rented one out flipped one rented one out flipped one and this person is completely financially independent and it's like almost like they make money on everything they make money on their real estate they make money on buying you know finding a uh, a cheap mower and flipping it for a couple hundred bucks <laughs> i mean they've replaced their income and they get they go where they want to go and come when they want to come and they did it in in under 10 years right uh, right so
0: yeah there's a great book uh the millionaire real estate investor gary keller and yeah, uh, a good one yeah that's that's certainly a you know 101 real estate investing for sure awesome awesome
1: then last uh last real uh just investment category people to consider. yes let's dive into the paper would be category paper assets yep. so paper assets would be uh, the the types of assets that most people are familiar with stocks bonds um, yeah, mutual funds. Uh, they would also be other assets that are uh, more appropriately known as derivative assets because they derive their value from the performance of something else. This may be somebody who's trading options of some kind or some, something, some more uh, kind of hardcore aspect of, of finance. This is a very legitimate strategy now it's also a strategy that you have to learn your stuff, and it's a it's pretty specialized knowledge and there are a lot of people who've lost a lot of money funding their their way through um, funding their way to you know through uh, financial independence with paper assets but it's very doable. One guy I'd recommend um, uh, one person I really love to read i don 't know if you had him on your show, if not you should um, he came on mine was um, uh, Pat Schulte, who writes the, the travel blog, bumfuzzle.com. H- has he been on your show? No, I need to, I need to okay. uh, connect with him and get him you on should, the show. You should reach out to him because he has an awesome travel blog. Um, and, but his story, he and his wife started off with nothing. And he, uh, it was really an amazing story when he told it uh, to me. Uh, and I focused a lot on the finance side of it. Uh, but he, he, said, you know, he after college, he went to college, got a couple degrees. He's a smart guy, but didn't have a lot of money. Uh, he, got a, he took a job making like 12 bucks an hour, eight bucks an hour, something like that as a clerk on the commodities exchange. this was 15, 20 years ago, that existed where he, uh, in Minneapolis, I think it was. And he took this job as a clerk. And after taking that job as a clerk, that got him close to the trading business. Then fast forward, he started studying. He befriended some people, some guys who mentored him. He went and sold his pickup truck for $5,000. And then he traded his account on the commodities exchange in Minneapolis. Then he later moved to Chicago with his wife. He traded his account from the $5,000 pickup truck, always trading his own money. He traded it to be enough money from the time he graduated college to the age of either 30 or 31 where he was able to um, closed down his account, and he and his wife left, bought a sailboat, and spent the next three years traveling around the world by sailboat. They thought they were just going to sail and then go back to Chicago and, and like settle down. They haven't stopped traveling for the last eleven years, uh, all based upon his trading skill with paper assets. So he actually wrote a book called "Live on the Margin," where he talked about that as being a strategy for um, as being a strategy for people to. Uh, uh, being a strategy for people to fund their travel. And he talked a lot. He gave some basically some introduction to uh, his trading style where he's trading stocks and trading assets. So people should should pick, you know, they can and, – and you don't have to do one or the other – but the thing is that most people, their only plan is they work the – many people, excuse me, I, I don't like to use most because I, I don't want to excessively exaggerate. Many people, their entire financial plan resol, revolves around I'm working the job that I'm working because my parents, you know, worked in that industry as well. Uh, I have expenses that I have because I'm following the same path as just about everyone else. So I need to live in a three-bedroom, two-bath house with a picket fence and uh, my 2.1 kids and my dog and, you know, in the, in the suburban neighborhood. I need to upgrade from time to time. I need an SUV and a minivan, you know, or pickup truck. And they just and they just kind of. And then my savings and investments is I put ten percent of my four hundred one k. If people are happy with that, awesome. I'm not one to tell people what they should or shouldn't do. And I think people should live their life how they want to live without me telling them how to live. But many people are dissatisfied with that. And the research shows that many people are dissatisfied. So when you start to integrate these things and you start to exercise control over your income, you exercise control over your expenses, and you exercise control over the rates of return that you earn on the difference, and maybe that starts with exercising control over the negative rates of return. If you get working your way out of debt, you, get, you, you take your high credit card debt and you go and get a peer-to-peer loan, so you swap that out, you pay it off over the next six months, you learn about investing. But by taking control, People can quickly and radically transform their lives in a relatively short period of time. Not talking six months, not talking a year, although going by the No More Harvard Debt blog, he did it, you know, he radically transformed his life in a year. And I've seen some people make some amazing moves in a year. But over the course of a relatively short amount of time, a few years, uh, a decade, maybe a couple decades. People can accomplish some radical transformations, and then they can really fully have the financial backing to really live the goals and the vision that they have for their life. Right. So. Hopefully, that was what I had I – know, I know that maybe you need to add this as a bonus or, or – Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. That's, a, that's perfect. I mean, we this actually This what came. I had prepared as far as f- for how to connect the goals of living an adventurous life and having adventures with your family to financial planning. There is a very important correlation, but it's not with saying what mutual fund should I put in my 401k. Right. That makes a difference. Right. But not nearly as a big d- difference as what I laid out
0: well it, it, I love it because there's it's, it's a crossroads of so many different aspects I mean the same kind of mentality and, and i and i uh, 'm aware you know read Pat Schulte's book uh, living on the margin and mm-hmm. and I love the fact that he tied in the same kind of mentality that it takes to go family traveling and family adventuring that that risk that right. uh, curiosity makes you a great uh Day trader or investor or right. real estate investor, you're you're comfortable with with bigger risks, right? And and that ties in exactly with what you're saying about personal finance and 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 what takes it from personal finance to radical personal finance, absolutely. And it's the risk factor, it's the take control factor, and it's the not being content with status quo. And uh, I love it. and And I think things are changing more you, you change from most to many. And I think that is a, a, an important distinction. Well, there is many, but I think there's more people waking up to the fact that, um, this is, this is life. We get one shot. We, we need to take control. And if we want to get what we want out of it, it's going to take some serious, um, and not that, that has to be, not that it has to be serious or unfun or, or, uh, you know, um, Hard nosed or whatever, but just right. just uh, conscious effort, I guess, is the way, right. and 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 thinking out of the box, and all of those kind of things all converge on this. I, I had an interesting uh, conversation with a friend of mine in California, and I think he lives near Cupertino, not in the you know Silicon Valley somewhere. And uh, his son is really into Apple. I think he's only nine nine years old, but just loves iPods, you know, loves MacBooks and everything. So for his birthday, he wanted to go visit Apple. And they actually went in the front door and just kind of, you know, walked in and said, hey, my son, <laughs> this is his birthday thing. Right. Who do they run into but Tim Cook, you know, wow. CEO. And he just takes, you know, five minutes. They popped into a little side room and he says, you know what, uh, this is what I love to see. When, when young people are kind of visionary and seeing where things are going, he says, we, you know, obviously Apple. We've done a huge amount of study and, and always studying the market. He goes, right. for, for people that are 9 and 10 years old right now, Sixty-five percent of the jobs, and I don't know if he just pulled this number out of the air. If it's actual study, sixty-five percent of the jobs that will be available to them when they're in the working community, twenty-five years old, don't right. even exist yet. Wow! And you try to think about that, and and here we are, you know, making podcasts, and there's plenty of people making a living doing. Right. You know, that didn't right. exist five years ago, or even ten right. years ago. And what's it going to be like in another ten years or fifteen years? And so. That constant, uh, you know, that's what I encourage my kids to do. Uh, you know, we're homeschoolers, so that's a big part of what we like to do as homeschool is just learning to learn because right. that is lifelong, and it's constantly changing, maybe now more than ever, and adapting and, you know, seizing opportunities and having that, that um, inherent ability to assess risk and, and make a wise decision on what what is going to be most beneficial, whether whether it's financial or lifestyle Absolutely. or whatever. So uh, I, I love it how it all it all kind of comes to the same point,
1: right? When I listen to your show, it's fun. I'm glad you said that statistic. <laughs> and your show uh, is one that my wife and I enjoy listening to together. Many of the shows that I listen to, she's not into, and some of the shows she's into, I'm not into. So when we travel or we're in the car on a road trip, uh, we'll often listen to your show uh, because it's one that that we both uh, we both enjoy li- listening to. Uh, but one of the things that I, <laughs> I don't scream at it. But when I listen to a lot of your guests sharing around education, uh, I, I, education is so incredibly important to people. Uh, but oftentimes, many of the guests, and and I, I have, I may have a blind spot in this, given that I have a one-year-old son and I haven't been down this road. Um, yet as far as I don't know what it's like to parent a 12-year-old or a 14-year-old. I I don't know what it's like yet. But when I listen to a lot of the guests are very concerned about, uh, you know, we've got to make sure that we get back. They've got to be, you know, set up in school. I think to myself from financial planning, from my experience, and I think the ability to live a happy life has very little to do with the subjects that you study in in the mainstream government (laughs) school system. And like everything that I've laid out in this you know in this show or that I talk about in my show. You're never taught any of those skills, and the reality is, is that to think that you know, a when I study the history of school, I find that it was very little ever designed to give people the skills that they needed for life. Rather, it's designed much more for creating a cultural norm and for creating conformity among people. And then you add in used to add in a, you know a shop class and a home ec class, and right. some Practical skills or a PE class to get stay healthy. Most of that is gone. And yeah, now those are all those up, are all cut out of budget. Right, constraints. right. And now we're stuck with now we're stuck with all the stuff that really doesn't matter. It might matter from the perspective of being a classically educated such and such, or it might matter from the perspective of being able to know some general knowledge. But in terms of job skills and in terms of life skills and in terms of how to how to have a fulfilling marriage and in terms of how to provide a roof over your head, it is utterly foolish to think that we could build that in a 12-year period when 65 percent of the jobs don't exist. When I graduated from high school, I'm 29 years old. I'm a young guy. When I graduated from high school, the iPod didn't exist. The iPhone didn't exist. Like, none of these things existed that we take for granted now. But I look around today, and there are tens of thousands of people earning a great living traveling the world with their families from app development or from you know, web development or something like that. And so I think we have got to, to have any potential for, uh, for improving the future, which I'm very optimistic about the future because it's happening due to the work that you're doing, due to the work that guys like me are doing. The, the monopoly over information and ideas that previously existed with existing media is broken. And right. it is continuing to break more and more. And guys like you can come and you can share your message and your message will appeal to some people. My message will appeal to another person. You'll, you and I, somebody will listen to our stuff for a year, two years, and then they'll, they'll kind of reach their fill and they'll move on to something else. Right. And so this diversity of ideas... And the constant impact of like idea, 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 these ideas multiply and they build and they build and they build. So we're breaking the stranglehold that exists on the monopoly of ideas that previously, you know, you had to come had to come through the three major networks or the four, uh, you know, the four, the one local newspaper. Um, but the, for our children, the ability to think creatively and the ability to learn and the ability to accomplish things. I listened to what you were talking about uh, on your interview about you know, putting your son in charge of the diesel, the main, the diesel engine maintenance and right. your daughter in charge of the charts. And that is the kind of task that our children need at a young age. And I recently did some, did some research on, uh, it just blew my mind when I read about it, a man named Admiral Farragut. And uh, have you ever heard this story of Admiral Farragut? No. Okay. Admiral Farragut was the youngest admiral in U.S. Navy history. But he wasn't made admiral this young. But there's an amazing story, if you go read about his life, that at the age of 12, he was enlisted in the Navy a few years prior to that. But at the age of 12, the ship that he was on was in a battle. And the ship was in a battle, and his his ship won. And the ship that he attacked um, uh, lost. So he, at the age of twelve, was put on board the captured ship as a prize captain, <laughs> and he was captain of that ship to get it from where the battle was to port where it would be it would be re- recommissioned into the navy in some in some sense. And at twelve years old, he sailed this ship with the crew across the ocean while the existing captain who had been defeated was on board and under his command. And he, at the age of 12, the captain, there's an anecdote from his, I think it's his diary or something like that. There's an anecdote where he, uh, where he uh, um, uh, the, the captain said, I'm not going to be you know, uh, in, under a boy. Right. And, and Farragut, as a, as a 12-year-old young man, said if you come up and the the captain threatened to go down below decks get a pistol and come up and kill Farragut and Farragut told him he said if you show your face up here you're dead the captain never came up (laughs) and you think a 12 year old young man captain of a ship with adult crew members under his command that that in history was not as unusual as it is today, now he was not captain of the ship forever. That was just a prize captain. But you think about that, and you see, uh, you see the potential, especially in the travel community. My wife and I just watched a documentary with um, the uh, Abby Sunderland on, on Netflix about right. when she went off to sail around the world uh, unassisted for a year. She didn't make the whole trip, but her her brother evidently did. And you see these the, the maturity, and people forget. You go back and you study the. You go back and you study the. Um, Um, The founding fathers. And you see that George Washington at the age of, I think, 17 was making the equivalent of what today would be a six figure salary doing an incredibly challenging and dangerous job with only a couple, you know, six months or something like that of formal schooling. And I look at adventure and I say, look at the transformation that can happen in, in, in the life of a young man or a young woman by being taken out of this artificial environment. Uh, where you don't get to actually do anything and nothing actually matters. And you get put in a situation where if you don't care for the engine, uh, you know, you don't have the, <laughs> right. the, 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 the whole major, family's stuck. Yeah. There's, uh, there's major issue, uh, consequences. Right. Right. So I get excited about it because I just think this is the perfect like entree, especially with children. My wife and I, at the moment, we don't have any plans for big travel adventures at this phase in our life in the next couple of years. Uh, but as, as uh, my son and Hope... Uh, um, hopefully we hope to have more children uh, as you know, as as my son and hopefully more children grow. I mean, I want to make sure that they are challenged and exposed and 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 just challenged to difficult circumstances so that they have the opportunity to grow because the artificial environment that we've created. Uh, for children, just keeps them stuck with nothing that matters and no ability to, to grow. So then they express themselves in other ways where if we can expose them to real challenges, this is what transforms our lives.
0: Right. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, all of that stuff, uh, you, you're just not going to get that kind of stuff in a school. And, and it's just not set up that way. It's not designed to, to train people that way. Um, you know, unfortunately, schools are, are built and structured to make employees right not to make business owners not to make free thinkers not to make uh right. you know adventurous risk takers or anything like that so right. that's i guess that's up to the parents so
1: right so that's what we can do through the yeah. contact yeah. interest great i've taken too much of your time i no, it. no it's fantastic
0: we will have to break it into two episodes but that is well worth it great information uh fantastic stuff and uh congratulations on uh, your you know your podcast and keep cranking out the good stuff over there cuz I love listening to it, and I pass it on to Rachel. I'm like, hey, you got you got to stop and listen to this one. There's a guy, you know, uh, Joshua breaks it down, how you can become a millionaire working at McDonald's so, or Walmart. So, uh. <laughs> yeah, I did a whole show <laughs>
1: called How I Would Become a Millionaire with a Minimum Wage Job at Walmart. <laughs> uh,
0: we, we listened to that driving back from Texas, and uh, we really enjoyed it. But all of them are unique and uh, really good content. So congratulations on that. Thanks for taking your time. I know you're busy and uh, sharing your thoughts with us. A lot of great information it's going to be a packed show notes page but that's okay sure so uh, yeah really appreciate it thanks so much joshua
1: thanks for having me on eric i really enjoyed it thank you for listening to a family's Venture podcast
0: do big things with your family and see you next week